0: Have you noticed that we live in a world that is just filled with fake? It gets everywhere. There's fake news, <clears throat> fake politicians with fake promises. There's fake emails to scam you. There's fake friends, and I'm the one here, of course, but they exist with fake conversations and don't even, like, get me started on Instagram. Like, that is so fake. There's just so little that's even real on social media. Like, do you really think everyone eats amazing meals every night? And and do you think everyone walks around like like this to get the perfect? Like, that's not normal. It's fake. It's just to present an image. And... To start off just being me, so if you don't know me, you know, here's a welcome. Um, Some of you here on an Easter morning, you're faking right now. Like some of you came because you're supposed to or because someone brought you or because you were promised a meal afterwards and so you had to like endure the church service. And really, your heart is, like, you're here, but you're not actually here. Your mind, your heart is far from this middle school right now and what's happening. And so you're faking, even as we speak. And so some of you are thinking, man, what kind of church is this? Like, I thought this was supposed to be like an Easter sermon. Welcome to a Renewal Church gathering. Like, we just want something real. That's who we are. We are fed up with the fake of our world, and we just want something real. Aren't you fed up with the fake of our world? Like, surely you are And every one of us, we are hungry for something real. And so, yes, I'm going to call out the fake that is all around us and, at times, the fake that is in us. We're hungry for something real. And it's the reason why some of you are looking to build your career and you are killing yourself to increase that bottom line in your career. Some of you, maybe that's not your thing, but maybe it's continuing to upgrade your house. That already is probably absolutely spectacular, but it's not good enough, and so you need to continue to improve or to upgrade where you live. And others of you, it might not be about that. It's about the toys. You're all about getting the newest and typically for grown men, expensive toys. You're looking for something to satisfy your soul. You're looking to be successful in the eyes of your peers because you're looking for something real, you turn to sex or to romance. You think you're going to find it there. And then others of you, you've been down that road. you realize, you know what, pastor, you're right, it's just not there. And so what have you done? You have tried to numb that pain and just numb that disappointment. So you've turned to things like, Endless social media scrolling. And you scroll and scroll and scroll. And at, at some point, you have to actually ask yourself, what are you even looking for? You're looking for something real. You won't find it scrolling, I promise. Or you've turned to sex or alcohol or drugs or something other, some other vice or even sports. You name it, a hobby to just numb the pain. But what we need on this Easter morning is a fresh word from the Lord. Amen? That's what we need. We need his spirit to blow here in this place and to revive hearts, to awaken souls, to give us something real, to give us Jesus himself. Because it's all about encountering Jesus. Our very existence is about encountering Jesus because he is the truth. There is no fake in Jesus. We have been meditating the last several months in the gospel of John. And we finished last week in John chapter 19 where Jesus declares it is finished from the cross. Redemption is accomplished. It's done. It's not about a religious thing. You have to keep doing and earning. It's finished. You can depend on him and receive salvation and real rest. And today we're going to be in chapter 20. As we're continuing in the Gospel of John, we're in chapter 20. We have seen thus far in John that Jesus is the bread of life, that he is living Water, that He is the truth and the way and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And as bread and water, Jesus alone can satisfy your soul's deepest hunger. Your soul is hungry for something real in the world of fake, and only Jesus can satisfy your deepest craving. And I pray that is why you're here, not for any other religious check-the-box churchianity, but that you're here because you want to feed your soul from the bread of life and drink deeply from living water. May you today encounter Jesus, and in so doing, encounter something real, for there is nothing more real. Jesus is truth embodied. So as we look at chapter 20, where chapter 19 ended, Jesus is buried. He died at Friday at 3 p.m. And at that point, the kingdom of darkness led by Satan was throwing a massive party. All of hell, all of darkness was celebrating Victory, the son of glory, the son of God himself, the king of kings was dead in the grave and Satan thought that he had won the victory and had a grand old party. Friday night, he was partying and Saturday, the party kept on going until Sunday morning and Satan's party was over because Jesus had won the victory with his resurrection. So we praise God for Easter morning. As we look at John Swain, let's just first pray. Just ask for his spirit to be at work in our hearts. Oh, God in heaven, who are we? Who are we that we could stand in your presence and receive your spirit, your mercy, your forgiveness? We don't deserve it. We don't deserve your affections, your goodness. We have offended you. We have sinned against heaven and our sins pile high up to heaven. And no religious effort can change the reality that we are sinners under the curse of sin and death. And yet this morning, we praise you for the power of the resurrection. We praise you for your son and his finished work on the cross and how we can approach you boldly. We are your children. Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. And we just ask this morning that your spirit would be so active here in this place, that we would hear from you. We just want your glory to be displayed. We're here for you. Speak for your servants for listening. In Jesus' name. So if you can, please turn to John 20. We're reading the first several verses. John 20, we'll begin reading verses 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached his tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their homes. So it's early Sunday morning. It's still dark. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. She sees the stone has been rolled away. She still assumes that Jesus is still dead and that someone had stolen the corpse of Jesus and taken it somewhere. And so she's freaking out. And so she goes and finds Peter and John. It says the other disciple that's the author of the Gospel of John. And so she goes and gets Peter and John, and, and they both start running. Now, we do know that John was younger. So I find it kind of humorous that John, who wrote this, says, yeah, and I outran him. He was like, for the record, I beat him. So it's not just teenagers or kids that always want to race. Like, here's this grown man inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he was saying, I beat Peter to the tomb. He was likely younger, thinner. I don't know, but he beat him. And yet John deferred to Peter, who was the leader of the 12, and the spokesman for the 12. And so John deferred to Peter. He got there, first, kind of looked in the tomb, saw the linen cloths, but he didn't go in. Peter finally comes up behind, and then Peter goes in first and he sees that the cloths are there and that it folded up neatly. And then John goes in after Peter, says that he went in the tomb, and it says, and he believed. He dared to believe. He didn't fully understand, text then says. Now, they didn't fully understand the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah having to die for our sin and then be resurrected, they didn't quite totally get that, but John began to believe. Isaiah 53, which was written about 700 years before Jesus' resurrection, verses 10 through 12 describe as the Messiah being crushed, made an offering for our guilt, who bore the sins of many, and so it describes the Messiah dying, and but then it also says that God shall prolong his days, which was pointing to the resurrection. Another example is Hosea chapter six, verses one through three, described the Messiah who would suffer, who would die, but then be raised on the third day. It says that we may live before Him. This is just two examples of many in the Old Testament where the Messiah was prophesied to die for our sin in our place as the sacrificial lamb, and yet that he would be resurrected. Not to mention multiple times that Jesus told his disciples just just on Thursday night, a few nights, this is Sunday morning, just Thursday evening, Jesus told them, I'm going away for a little while, but then I'll be back, and the joy is going to be made complete. So Jesus was already telling them a few nights earlier, I'm going away, but I will come back. I will resurrect. And he told them in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And so this is, it's not like it was a surprise, and yet they, they couldn't fully understand how the cross was God's eternal plan from eternity past. It was all about Messiah coming and dying to redeem a people who will praise him from all nations forevermore. It was always about the cross. So they saw Jesus die. You can only imagine that when John was there and he was seeing Jesus hanging on the cross and dying, that you just know he was thinking to himself under his breath saying, come on, Jesus, come on. You've got the power. Just get off of that cross and squash the Romans. All their hopes died on Friday at 3 p.m when Jesus breathed his last and gave up his spirit. Their hopes died. And so now on Sunday morning, when they're seeing this empty tomb, it was just so much to take in. And yet, John began to believe because it wouldn't make sense for robbers to have taken his body. They left the linen cloths there. When robbers come in, they take everything. Furthermore, when robbers come in, they're in a hurry. Like, no robber ever breaks in and just takes his time. Like, you're in a rush. And so to go in and to take the body and, and then to take the time to neatly fold the cloths and, and arrange them, that doesn't like, robbers don't do that. If you ever had your house broken into, you know robbers aren't neat. They leave a mess. That's normal robbery. And so for a robber to come in, to take the body and to lay it neatly is illogical. And so John was already seeing this and saying, oh, no, there is more here. He didn't fully get it, but he began to believe. He literally dared to believe that, is it possible? His faith was rising, believing Jesus indeed had resurrected. And they're just thinking, could this be? And they go home. I presume, to ponder, to discuss, to say, so what do you think, Peter? i no. Like, oh, what do you think, John? I mean, it seems, is it, could it be? I don't you can just imagine the conversation. And they go home, and they're praying, and they're, and they're pondering these things. And then what happens, verse 11. But Mary, she, she didn't go, she stayed there. She stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped, to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Okay, I don't know what she was thinking, but if you see two angels in an empty tomb, like you would think that that would, like, tip you off, that there's a miracle that just happened. But I don't know. I mean, maybe she didn't have her glasses on. It was, maybe it was still dark. Maybe she was so overwhelmed with grief and shock. She just wasn't thinking clearly, like, this fog of war type scenario. Like, she just couldn't think. And she sees these two angels, and she, the processes really are firing Fully, and he's just in shock, and she's talking to the angels, and it doesn't like register those are angels. But they talk to her, and they say, Why are you crying? And then she answers them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know, or they have laid him. And then, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried away, carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She is so overcome by grief and so much shocked that she, she doesn't even recognize Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Mary, he says her name, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Robbeni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father, and to your father, to my God, and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. She is weeping, and she turns, and then Jesus calls her name. And that's when she knew, because Jesus already told us, my sheep hear my voice. Jesus knows you. In your grief, in your failures, in your disappointment, he sees you in your weeping. He knows and he loves you. And he calls you by name. And that's when she realized, oh my God, Goodness, it's Jesus. He's standing. He's breathing. He's moving. He's living. He's victorious. He's in full majesty. The grave could not keep him. He's conquered death and he calls her name. And what does she do? She does exactly what I think about all the time, what I look forward to doing one day is running to Jesus and just holding him. Just hugging him. It's just not letting go. And you just must have been on those hugs. You know those hugs where some hugs you when it hurts. They're like, oh, you're hugging me too hard. That was Mary, Just probably felt so down. It was just clinging to him and just loving him because he's alive, and he tells her, hey, hey, let go, like, it's going to be okay, like, you don't have to cling to me. I'm not leaving yet. He spent the next 40 days with them. He tells them, I have work to do. I need to go meet with my brothers, like, we'll, we'll, we'll have time for this. We'll have an eternity for this, but right now, I have some work I have to go do. And then to get my my brothers ready because I'm going back to the Father. I'm gonna to ascend to my throne in 40 days. And she goes and finds the disciples and tells them, I have seen the Lord. He is risen. Can you just imagine the combination of fear and like excitement and uncertainty and just Pick an emotion. They, they probably were experiencing all of them in overload. Seeing Mary, she's overwhelmed. Because don't think that she came and said, "Hey guys, so guess what?" Like she came in frantic and screaming at top of her lungs, saying, "I have seen the Lord!" Like just going crazy. And so, what happens with these disciples after they hear his testimony? from Mary, and they've seen the empty tomb themselves. Verse 19, on the evening of that day. So the same day, but now it's evening. The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Let's just stop there for a second. They just saw the empty tomb, and Mary just told them, very clearly, he is alive. He's resurrected. And yet, there they are, afraid, hiding behind locked doors. They, they still didn't get it. They were afraid. But it says, so there were the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I think that is like the biggest understatement in the whole Bible. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I mean, yes, it's true. It's inspired, authoritative, inerrant, infallible. They were glad. But the level of gladness must have been just overwhelming. Can you just imagine that room when they see Jesus? The doors are locked, and Jesus appears to them alive in the flesh and shows them his scars, and they were glad. They were glad. It was exceeding rejoicing, the hollering, the excitement, the hugging, the the reunion, the gladness of seeing Jesus alive and well. And it says, and they were glad. Their hearts were so joyful when they saw him. Jesus said to them again, second time, peace be with you. Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hands at his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. All of the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet Because at its essence, faith is not seeing. One day, our faith will be made sight. We will see him on this side of heaven. We have this assurance, this confidence in what we're waiting for, even though we have not seen it. We are not focused on the things that are seen because those things are transient. We have our eyes set on what is unseen because those things are eternal. Again, twice, you see them hiding behind closed doors. And three times, Jesus says to them, peace be with you. And shows them the marks, the actual signs of redemption, of how he paid the price for them to be set free, for all of us to be set free from our sin. So what you're seeing here is this remarkable union where Jesus then breathes his spirit onto them. And he says, as I have been sent, now I am sending you. We have a purpose. We have a mission. We are a sent people. Thomas wasn't there the first time. Eight days later, he is there. And when he sees Jesus and his scars, what is the response to seeing, to encountering Jesus? What is his response? Worship. He calls Jesus my Lord and my God. Jesus is God. And he responded with worshiping him. Because our hope is alive because Jesus is alive. That's why we have hope is because of Christ's resurrection. This is the evidence right here. The resurrection is the evidence that he is the truth and the way and the life and that no one goes to the Father except through Jesus. And the resurrection is the evidence that only he can accomplish that. As we look at this text, there are three themes that, There's a lot, but three specific ones that we'll focus on this morning that I want to show you and show why they matter. Because of the resurrection, Jesus now offers three realities. One, because his resurrection, he offers us now real peace. He offers real peace. Not empty, fake peace like our world offers us. The world tells us. Go go after all of the different things under the sun, and you can find peace. You can find real joy, but it's just empty. Well, Jesus offers real peace. He tells them, peace be with you. The word there is shalom. In the Bible, the word shalom is a very rich word. It describes peace, but it means this wholeness, a not being divided. It describes well-being. Shalom is peace with God. So enjoying harmony and delight in God himself. Shalom means peace with other people, where you have harmony with other human beings in all of your relationships. Shalom is peace with yourself, where you don't live with anxiety or chaos or guilt or shame, but having a a clear conscience and joy in God's presence. And so this is shalom. It's Peace with God, with others, and with yourself. Shalom is the way things ought to be. Describes human flourishing. The purpose of God is shalom, is to bring peace. You know what our problem is? We have broken shalom. We have broken peace. So now we're at war with other people. Our souls are fractured, broken. And we're at war with God. There's no peace. We're rebels against God. And we reject his love and reject his mercy and his peace. We don't want it. We prefer our idols. We prefer the joys of this world instead of the pleasures and the presence of God. And you know what this is? This idolatry, this rebellion, it is not peace. It is not shalom. It is the opposite of shalom. The resurrection proves that Jesus is shalom. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Why? Colossians 1, 19 and 20 tell us, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, here's the key, making peace by the blood of his cross. God is reconciling us, restoring us back into relationship with him to have shalom, to have peace with God, with others, within ourselves. And it's possible because of the blood of Christ. And so he is bringing us shalom through Christ's work on the cross with his resurrection. It proves that Jesus alone can defeat the enemy and our sin and change rebel hearts so that we have new hearts that love God. Some of you in this room are bored with God. Anything to do with this and Jesus and faith is boring to you. And the heart that is bored by Jesus is a heart that does not have shalom with God. Because when we know him and we enjoy him, oh my goodness, you read this, it's absolutely amazing. And having real joy in his presence, nothing else compares with it. We settle for the things of this world when he offers us so much more in his presence. And so Jesus enters in through these closed doors And what does he offer them? Peace. And he breathes his spirit on them. Some of you have some major locked doors in your heart, in your soul. You have walls that are up. And you keep other people out. And you keep God himself out. And you're so walled up and you're hiding behind locked doors in your soul. And what you need is for Jesus to penetrate through those walls, to enter in and to begin to heal that shame and that guilt, that disappointment, And to breathe peace into your soul. And he does that because he's the resurrected king of glory who defeated the grave and offers us new life. Which is the second reality that we get. Because of his resurrection, Jesus offers us now real life. He offers us real peace, but also real life. Let's finish the chapter, the last two verses, verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That is why the gospel of John was written, so that you may believe he is Messiah, that he is God, that he died for you, defeated the grave, that he is the resurrected king, the life and the resurrection, and that he can offer you real life. Salvation is about life. Some of you in here are seeking or aren't sure about this whole faith thing, and you're like, I don't want to follow Jesus. That seems boring, and I can't have fun, and I can't do what I want to do, and that's so restricting. But you've got that backwards. You get freedom. A heart that actually desires righteousness, and that desires the things of God, a heart that loves Jesus, and that has real life, a resurrected life. We are dead under the curse of sin and death. Left to ourselves, humanity, every one of us is spiritually dead. We don't have hearts that love God or that desire him, and we have no capacity to obey God. And so we are enslaved to our sin and understand what's going on here with Jesus dying and resurrecting because the sentence for sinning against an eternal, holy God is an eternity of condemnation. And so if you reject Christ and you say, I don't need that church stuff, that religion thing, peace out, I'll see you next Christmas, maybe next Easter. Um, When you die, you will pay for your sins because every single sin will be paid for. Every single last one because God is holy and just. He keeps the law. He upholds the law, which is his holy standard. He will not allow there to be one law that's broken that is not paid for if he allows that, then he is less than holy. And so either as humans, we can pay off our sin debt to an eternal God for eternity, paying for that sin in hell, or you can trust in Jesus alone who said it is finished. And because he is eternal, he could pay our infinite debt and a few moments on the cross. And so that is the absolute wonder of the cross is our debt is paid in full if we will trust in the finished work of Jesus. And when he's breathing his spirit, understand what he's doing. Remember in Genesis 2, when God breathes into Adam and gives him life. Now you have Jesus, the new Adam, who is breathing his life, his spirit into his followers, giving us new life, new hearts. We're new creations with all new desires. And this is life in Christ. This is union with Christ. And it is absolutely Stunning when you think about it. Let me read to you out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. First Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're born again. We're made new his living hope because of his resurrection. You turn the page to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been If that doesn't light a fire in you, then your wood is wet. How do you even I mean there's times guys where i am just had a loss. Like I'm supposed I have this privilege of of doing something so simple of read the Bible and explain it. And then repeat. Read the Bible and explain it. And then repeat. Read the Bible and explain it. That's what preaching ought to be. Like, I don't know, like, I don't have time for stories or jokes. Like, I'm funny by accident sometimes. Eternity's in the balance. And, and you read this inspired word of God and then and then to like give commentary on it, sometimes I feel so inadequate. Read this. You feed your souls from this. And in it, find life. That Jesus died in our place that we would have this living hope. He bore our sins so that we could be forgiven and live and have our souls healed and have real life. Jesus came to give us life and give it in abundance, it says in John ten ten, Life abundantly overflowing with, with blessing. And yet I, I fear like so often, I don't know, like we don't live that abundant life. And I, I was thinking back this week on one year ago, Easter, where were we? We were all locked up in our houses. I had to record an Easter service in front of a camera in the backyard of one of our members. Now it's a beautiful garden. It's an amazing backyard. But still, like, I wasn't able to enjoy the people of God together. And I think of this world, like, we live now in this COVID world. And what is the message of the world with COVID? People are dying. Billions, literally billions. Are in fear of dying. And, and what is the world's message? Avoid other people. Avoid worshiping God together. Or you might die. And then there's this message we can do this together, we're in this together. Apart with masks that hide the glory of God, which is in your face. Because your face reveals the glory of God. And then, and then we're told, hey, we can overcome death and this pandemic together. And then somehow I think to myself, it just, I hear that message and it doesn't resonate in my soul. Now, I do understand if someone has other what is it, pre-existing conditions or if you have a loved one that's older. Look, I'm not trying to pass judgment. I'm talking about the general message of COVID, which is we can overcome this thing, death, together. But when I think of this, what is based upon the resurrection of Jesus on this Easter morning, what is the message of COVID according to the gospel. Well, I see in Hebrews 9, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We will all die. It's not a matter of if, it's when. We're under the curse of sin and death, And we cannot overcome this together. We cannot overcome death together. We will all die together. We will not overcome it. We worship the one who overcame death. That's who we worship. He overcame death, and that is why our allegiance is to Jesus, because he did what we cannot do. He overcame death so that then together we can worship him who is worthy because he overcame the grave, and we are the people of the risen king. We have hope, and we have life, and we ought not live in fear. We ought not be people of fear because God's perfect love casts out fear. So we're called to live with boldness and with urgency. So whatever you view unmasking, here's the bottom line. This COVID thing ought to give us an urgency to reach those that are far from God. Because it's a reminder that we're all going to die, and what we need is life, and Jesus said, if you believe in me, even if you die, you will live. It's all about life in Christ and this hope that we have, and then I've been asked, pastor, what if you get infected? I don't know. Like, this sounds so, so righteous. I hope you know my heart, but honestly, did Jesus not get infected with our filth? Are we so afraid of getting infected with the filth of each other when we're all being cleansed by the blood of Christ? We should not see each other as infections or as disease carriers. We should see each other as image bearers of God. Yes, this is on my heart, it's clear. But I truly believe that the resurrection has something to say about how we think about COVID. We have real peace. We have real life. Lastly, as we close, because of Jesus, his resurrection, we have real purpose. His peace, his life, and his purpose. Verse 21, it says, peace be with you. He says, as the Father sent me, I now send you. We've been sent out to reach people, yes, in a pandemic world, willing to risk our lives so that we can see other people made new and forgiven and to realize how utterly amazing Jesus is. See, death could not hold Jesus because it has no claim on him and so we share in his death and his resurrection. We are in Christ. And so claim death has no claim on us either. Death, of course, could not hold him. And so Jesus stands in victory. And so we can stand in victory. We really have been bought by this blood of Christ. And so we should live like it. Live filled with joy and hope like we should be a people that are joyous I see believers that don't smile and it just doesn't make sense to me we should be people of joy and people of hope because we have his peace his life and his purpose this soul satisfying purpose to reach those to spread his renewal to Bill County and the world we have spirit of God breathe into us and so may we live like it